Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Monday, May 18th edition of Flyers Daily. Jason Mertides with you all with uh, Bill Meltzer alongside and uh, a lot to get into in this episode. Coming up, uh, you hear my conversation from last Friday with Flyers defenseman Mark Friedman as player profiles continue. We're getting down to the end of player profiles, but uh, Mark Friedman, my conversation with him, uh, who's staying in Lehigh Valley, will come up momentarily. But uh, Bill and I got a lot to get into here, first and foremost. And Bill, there's a lot of anticipation, a lot of reporting that this could be a very, very big week where we learn a lot about the NHL and their return to play. Yeah, the uh, return to play committee has been meeting throughout the weekend. They met several times during the week. There's a whole lot of details still to work out, but it sounds like we might finally be hearing some decisions made on, on when they would move and what the details would be to moving to the next phase of uh, returning to play, um, which would also which would involve getting players back into uh, you know back into on ice workouts before you before even a training camp. Now, one of the complications with that is where you have players traveling from abroad, uh, coming over from Europe. Uh, just, just by rule, by law, they'd they'd have to quarantine for 14 days. So you'd have to push, you'd have to push that out 14 days from you know whenever players would be returning, and then you could go from timetables from there as to you know how long players would get to um, work out on the ice, and then how long training camps would be, and then into when actual games would be. So there's a lot of layers and a lot of logistics to work out. I mean, a pretty complicated web of them, but but it sounds like we might be actually hearing some concrete things and not just this has been discussed. That's been discussed. There might actually be some decisions made over the next week, you know, and I, and I mean, it's really getting down to that time where those decisions have to be made if there's going to be a rescheduled season. So, you know, I'm very anxious to hear what those things will be. Um, it might not, might not come today. It might not come tomorrow, but uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully within the next week or so, you know, we're, we're not talking as many theoreticals and we're talking some actual, some actual news. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, Bill, there's a lot of there's a lot of branches to this tree, right? Um, first and foremost, um, there's going to be criticism about the 2014. We'll get more more into that in just a moment. Uh, but when you talk about the quarantine, and people are wondering, is there going to be a hub in Edmonton, or is there a hub maybe in Toronto or Vancouver? Is there a hub in uh, in in Char or in Carolina? You know, one of those places. And people go, well, if you're going from country to country, every time you do that, you got a 14 day quarantine. Um, so that's something that obviously would have to be worked out. And and for all intent and purpose right now, the U.S.-Canadian border is closed, but the Canadian government and the United States government have been working in tandem. And um, it's, I would imagine that's not going to be an issue for players. And couple that, even, Bill, you know, players' visas run out at the end of June as well. That's going to be have to be something that they're going to have to work through as well. There's so many trickle-down effects of this. Um, but the one thing that, that's really interesting to me, it, it, do you think this was a lead, the league – kind of holding off on announcing anything to try and announce almost everything at the same time. So the timeline makes a lot of sense today. We're going to start 2020, 21 here. Here's what we're, here's our aim for this. And there's going to be buffers on, on all sides, including the draft and, and everything else. Do you think that's the aim to kind of announce everything all in tandem? I, I think so. I think so, because there are so many layers to all of it and to, you know, announce it piecemeal to me, makes makes less sense than, you know, say, okay, uh, our ducks are in a row in terms of a plan. As you said, there are, there are little buffers built into it. And it makes, I guess it, it makes more sense to announce what the entire plan is, including what the off season would be beyond the playoffs. 
and uh, you know when next season would start because that's something else that's uh, you know a bigger picture bigger picture issue than just just the rest of this season. I, I think that uh, you have to have an entire plan in place, and you know as you said and and, and I said that um, you know others have said too that there are so many layers to this to, to unravel that I that I think in announcing everything at once makes more sense than doing it one piece at a time. Yeah. And now, you know, Pierre Lebrun and stick taps to him. He's done a really good job reporting on this. Clearly he's got sourced information on all sides of the return to play committee, which I think is important because every side's got a different angle at which they approach this um, bill. The 2014 playoff field has been met with a lot of resistance. Um, and, and look, we understand why it's different and it makes people uncomfortable in that regard. But you look at the disparity in points, you know, when the 2014 supposed bracket and play in situations came out last week, um, some people had issue with it because a team like Pittsburgh, um, who's only three points behind where the Flyers are, has to then perhaps have a best of three series with a team like Montreal and a very well-rested Carey Price. Now, I want, you know, so, so there's a lot of criticism of this. Why does a team that had a 0.5 percentage chance of getting in the playoffs in Montreal with the games remaining that they have, why do they get rewarded with this opportunity? They say you can go to 20 teams. But the, the fact of the matter is this, is the NHL right now, is in a money situation as well. I, I think people aren't considering that aspect of it. And you can say, well, don't worry about the money. That doesn't mean anything, right? But And they'll say, well, this is just millionaires and, and billionaires that are trying to get more. But that's not the case, Bill. When you look at this, the people that get cut from these organizations or furloughed are not the players or the coaches or the owners. They're the people that work in the organization where there's probably 10 times more people working in the organization than there is players and coaches. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a, uh, there's an entire trickle down effect as to when there've been, I mean, look at, look, when, look about when there have been, you know, uh, lockout situations, right. That the, uh, the ones who are affected the most, you know, I mean, you know, there are players are affected too. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, yeah, the people who feel the pinch the fir- first are often the people that work for teams, work for the league, Work, uh, work at arenas. I mean, all, all those things. There, there are a lot of people that uh, are reliant on being able to finish the season that need this fe- season finished. You know, um, just just for financial survival. I mean, it's. I, I mean, obviously, there's a PA interest, there's an owner interest, and you know, they're they're acting upon their own interest in wrapped into that. But there's also much larger components as well. So I think that uh, I think you have to look at it again an entire bigger picture that. Uh, you know, a lot of people could potentially benefit from this and not just the owners and not just the players. Yeah, and I, and I saw a tweet from Ken Campbell from the Hockey News, and he said it's easy to bash the NHL's plan for a 2014 playoff, uh, but you have to realize the NHL is facing a $1.1 billion shortfall in revenues this season. More teams, especially when some of those teams are Montreal and Chicago, means obviously more revenues. You can't fault the NHL for trying to be creative here. And, and he's absolutely right. And look, a team that is one of these play-in teams, whether they're the 22nd-ranked team or Montreal as the 24th-ranked team, if they went on to win the Cup, hey, that, that's hockey. That's parody of this league to begin with. So I, I just don't understand uh, uh, so many people's being you know, so up in arms when we're in perhaps the most incredible circumstances, unfortunate circumstances that we are right now. Um, the NHL is trying to do what they can to, to move themselves forward in a responsible financial matter. Um, Bill, you know, when you look at the situation as well and these teams and, you know, the more teams you put in, the more you have to protect Um, it. it, The three game series is something that 
when that bracket came out, people said, well, aren't those teams going to have an advantage that move into the actual field of 16 because they played a couple of competitive games prior? Um, is the league going to look at some scenario where all teams are going to play some kind of games before game one of round one of the playoffs? That has been discussed. Yeah, I, I know that one of the uh, one of the things that they had have to nail down is the weather teams, all teams will have uh, some rescheduled regular season games before play-ins, you know, which will be a short series. And then the playoffs would start as opposed to just going right into postseason play. So, yeah, I think that's in play for sure. Bill, one of the other things is, um, you know, you know, Elliot Friedman reported that between whenever the playoffs do end, should they happen, and the next season, they would need 45 essentially to 55 days. So call it 50 days between seasons uh, for the players to recuperate, the ones that get to the finals, and then to conduct all their offseason business, whether that includes the draft or not. Um, but let's look at the, the, the length of a training camp. Um, how long will a training camp be? How long do they need to really get back into shape? Um, because look, we see players go through injuries where they're off the ice for two or three months. They're out eight to 12 weeks. They come back. Like I think this notion that everybody's in peril to get hurt all of a sudden is a little overblown because we see players all the time in the middle of a seasoning that they're out for 12 weeks. They come back in the playoffs. They've been practicing for two weeks. They get back in the playoffs and they're fine. Yeah, I mean, it, it also depends. Usually usually before the player gets back into practice, they have rehab skating for, you know, however, whatever period of time. And, and you know, it depends, also depends, you know, like with an injury situation, the nature of an injury. Guy breaks his hand, he can skate all along. Guy tears up his knee, then it's more rehab skating in, in front of playing. I mean, what you'll see is you'll see uh, informal workouts like teams have already ahead of a training camp. Um, you know, that might be, 10 days or so, and then at least two weeks of camp. So you're basically looking at a, a three-week time period. And I, and I think that's sufficient. I think players are comfortable with that. I, I don't think you can jump right into a, a, a camp without any kind of skating after being off, well, at this point, two-plus months. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think you have to have – you don't have to have four months or whatever to, to be ready. I, I, think as long as, I think as long as players have time to get their skating legs back, go back to a normal routine in the gym – ahead of ahead of a training camp then it then it's a couple of weeks and they'd be ready yeah and the other part of that too is you got to get into a second week because you got to be able to fight through the soreness that's going to initially come as well because players the player you're going to get sore and then you got then you got to break it back down and, and play through that before you're actually playing games um bill your your best guess and i know it's a guess there, there's not a lot of knowns here unfortunately maybe we find out some more things that you know, some timelines this week, even though they, we won't hold the league to it because ultimately they don't have a tremendous amount of control. But ideally, given the situation where we are in the calendar right now, what, what's a likely starting point for when they would get the game back on the ice and, and create that window of time, whether it's eight weeks or 10 weeks in total, to culminate this 2020 or 1920 season? I would say tail end of June or beginning of July, just because we're talking about the 14 day quarantine and then the, the ramp up of on ice informal workouts followed by a camp so that pushes you out between you know all those things you know about about to where the end of june beginning of july would be assuming it, it all kind of clicks in place that, that's that's at least the timeline's in my head i mean we'll, we'll see what they say this week but that's kind of my thought so if it goes eight weeks or even you know 10 10 weeks from that point you're finishing in the middle of september you're probably beginning the next season sometime in early november to mid-november Right. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've heard I've heard the league's willing to even look at the beginning of December, but yeah, it's mid mid November. I think that's a that's a a working time frame. That that I think that, I mean, Gary Bettman and Bill Daly both said they're comfortable with that possibility of mid November, or you know, or if uh, they want to build in a little bit more buffer time, you know, maybe even the beginning of December. But I think that I think so. We'll be looking at. I, I don't think it's. I don't think the league is even looking at an on time start in early October for uh, for next season. Does it make more sense to to push towards December and have that be kind of where you're thinking of starting because the likelihood of fans being in the stands is is greater the later you go? Yeah, for sure. I, I think the further you push it out, the the more some semblance of normalcy in terms of fans in the stands. If uh, you know whether that's half capacity or, or or whatever the case might be, or even better, full capacity. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see what develops over that time frame. But I think, yeah, I, I think beginning in December, you know, if it is an early December start, then that does presumably increase the likelihood of being able to play with fans in the stands. And I mean, the, you know, I think the game needs that. I, I think that a, you know, I think that empty arenas are, or, you know, beyond that severely limited attendance. I mean, that, uh, you know, that's not sustainable. I think at some point with a relatively near future, you have to get fans back in the stands and that's not, that's not in play for this season, but certainly hopefully for next season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's such a big part of revenue uh, in the NHL, like it is in the NBA and a lot of other sports. I think it's constitutes somewhere around 40 percent uh, of the revenue and uh, a home game. I saw a study that's anywhere between a million and a half and three million dollars of revenue. That's real money per game. So uh, with fans, that is. So not having that is a big part of the equation. Uh, Bill, before we uh, began taping this episode, I, I came up with an idea and an assignment. Uh, for both, I, and I didn't do it just to you. <laughs> I put us both in the same boat, so we'd have to complete this. But um, the assignment was as follows. Um, I wanted to do a, an episode based on what we have learned so far in this hockey season, the 2019-20 season. Now, these are the things that, you know, a few things that we each know for certain coming out of this season so far. And areas perhaps where there's a question mark or a question mark has arisen in this season. Um, and I came up with a bunch and I know you did it as well. So I want to give you my first one. We can kind of discuss these and, and kind of see if we're in agreement on these. Um, the first one, the first question mark I came up with was how to handle the RFA contracts of Oscar Lindblom and Nolan Patrick. It's a really yep. interesting one for me. Yeah, for sure. I, I had that, I had that at the top of my list as well. Um, you know, we still, there's still a lot to find out about their health situations, you know, for, uh, beyond the season. And, um, yeah, I mean, as, as RFAs, do you, you know, do, are you making a commitment to something, you know, beyond a year, maybe a, a bridge contract situation where, you know, it, it's, uh, cheaper to sign them for two years. I mean, both players are, are, would be non-arbitration eligible this summer. So, um, you know, the, a year go go a year further out they both would be first time arbitration eligible and that can always affect where negotiation goes based on how a player returns but there's just so much uncertainty with their availability their health status you know we did hear um from brent flair some some really good news with oscar as to that he's beginning his his last round of uh, cancer treatments and you know our, our our fingers are all crossed that oscar's going to be well but there still is a long you know, there's still a long road even after that to potentially playing again. It's, uh, 
you know, it's a, it's a real tough, long, difficult road back. And, you know, also with, I mean, also with Nolan's situation. So I, I don't think, it's, you know, I, I think that it's going to be a, a tough decision really on, on both sides of it. And um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's absolutely no certainty whatsoever to me. That's the, for sure, the biggest question mark roster planning wise is to, you know, not just, not just cap wise, but also are they going to be, be available to play next year? You know, and, and, um, and then there is the cap piece to it as well as, okay, how much cap space can you realistically commit to those guys? So it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree completely. That was, again, that was top of my list. Yeah, definition of, of, of an off-season question mark, no, no question about it. Um, the second one I had, Bill, and, and I'm really torn on this one, um, and I think you're going to agree, um, but I'm really torn on a decision on whether or not to, to re-sign Tyler Pitlick. Um, I, I'm, I'm making the assumption that Grant and Thompson uh, would not be coming back. They would be moving on. Um, but I know what I have coming. I know some of the young players I have and the situation with guys like Frost that I think could be ready to make the jump. And we just pre- talked to him last week on the player profile. Uh, but what to do with a player like Tyler Pitlick? I'm really torn on this one because I love what he brings. I know what he brings every night and every shift. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a really hard decision he's making an even one million uh, on his current contract which expires you know you can give him a modest raise depending on how the cap looks even if it's flat you can probably work it in but much beyond that and how many years do you want to commit i mean you know tyler does have an injury history as well um mm-hmm. you know it's uh you know how much a team spends on on bottom six forwards a lot of times can determine how much flexibility they have down the line. Ideally, you like some of those lower roster spots, you know, the bottom bottom six, your third pair. You'd like to have cheaper players filling those roles. I mean, right now you mentioned Derek Grant. Derek Grant is on a minimum NHL minimum contract, seven hundred thousand dollars. He's going to yeah. get coming coming off of a year where he has fifteen goals. He's going to get a big race. So, you know, I, I think that uh, it's not going to be something the Flyers are going to be able to do to bring him back. Um, you know, you, you hope a guy like, uh, Nicholas Abe Cubell, what we've seen from him this year, we hope that that's the real deal. And maybe he could step into a bigger role, kind of like Pitlick plays and cushion that blow a little bit. And it opens up a a spot in your fourth line for somebody to grow into. That's, that's uh, part of that equation is that how much faith you have in Abe Cubell long-term. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I didn't have that, but that's actually, that's a, a really good choice as to. You know, one of the decisions that has to be made. I had I had another UFA on there. Actually, I had uh, Justin Braun as well because the mm-hmm. three players rolled really well this year. Um, he's particularly as as they've had him, you know, as, on, on the third pair. I thought after a tough start, he's been a, a really a rock solid piece of this team. Um, he looks like he has a a little bit left in the tank, and um, you know, there's not an there's not an imminent replacement for him either. With all due respect to a guy like Mark Friedman, who might be on the roster next year, you know, as a, as a regular, or at least a, a seventh defenseman. Um, and we don't know, you know, where where things are going to go in terms of moving a guy like Ghost potentially, right? So I think that I think that I I had Braun, but it's a similar kind of decision as to cap dollars versus uh, you know the the value of those cap dollars of, of what you get on the ice. So that's uh, yeah, so similar in that regard. Yeah, and Braun will come up in one of my certainties as well. That's a great one, too, because my number, actually, I'll go out of order. My number four question mark was with so many defensemen, uh, not only on this team, but in the organization and at varying levels of their development or career, 
Um, I, I, I'm not sure how seeing how the team and Chuck Fletcher and the staff decides to move forward with determining who's going to be on their NHL roster as defensemen, uh, who's going to be used as currency and who they're going to lock down to, you know, for the next eight years to be a core member of this defense to me is one of those huge question marks. You're dealing from a position of strength, which is great. Uh, but how that plays out, the question of how that plays out to me is a huge one. Oh, I completely agree. Um, my, I, I had one of my question marks as to, you know, specifically as to what Shane Gossis bears future. I mean, he's been, you know, when every, when he was back from the knee injury and back from his rehab with the Phantoms, I mean, the Flyers were on a roll, so they didn't want to change anything in the lineup. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that for several weeks there, he was healthy enough to play and he wasn't in the starting six. Um, you know, he was, he was playing behind, um, Robert Haig. So, you know, does he step back into the starting six a year from now? I don't think you want a situation where he, he's sitting again. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. Is he off season currency to, to move him somewhere else? I mean, that, that certainly is a possibility. Um, you know, maybe a best case scenario is that after everybody comes back here and starts playing, hopefully, you know, ghost goes, goes on a run and, and, um, you know, whether you keep him or whether, uh, he, maybe you move him the off season that increases his value, whether it's his value to the team or his value on the market. So ghost is, when, when. Ghost is yeah. the main question. Yeah. And it was, he was the number three of my certainties that Shane Gossis bear right now is in a very precarious situation as a member of the Philadelphia Flyers uh, with everything that you just said. Um, the third one I had bill in regards to uh, question marks was how to handle this backup goalie position. Uh, they decided to bring Brian Elliott back. Everybody assumed that Cam Talbot was going to be the backup goaltender because of his relationship with Carter Hart and they work out together and, and going into this season and they traded for Talbot last year. Um, they bring uh, Brian Elliott back. Um, I, I championed the decision. I was on the stump, stumping for it. Um, but does Hart go to a heavier workload next year? Elliott at 35 years old, that still seems to fit for me. Um, how they handle that is going to be interesting because Carter Hart will also be in the last year where he's not getting paid significant NHL money. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, when I when I interviewed Chuck Fletcher, um, I guess over a month ago now, and I, I asked about the, the goaltending situation, and he said that, you know, obviously those decisions have not been thoroughly discussed yet. He hasn't talked with um, uh, Brian Elliott's agent or anything like that. But just just on the surface of, of how the season had gone, you know, if the, if the numbers work out and the, everybody's comfortable with it, he would be comfortable with potentially bringing Brian back for one more year. And I, I think the fit is the fit is still there as long as Elliott is healthy and, you know, workload. You, you always have your plan going into the season, but then it adjusts within the season. I mean... I mean, I, I think if things go in an ideal way, you would see Carter Hart's workload increase on, on the road, certainly. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that at Brian Elliott's age, um, it, any situation he would step into would be another, you know, another tandem situation or, or a, uh, you know, or even a backup kind of a role someplace. So, you know, I, I think sometimes, sometimes there's something to be said for having a comfort level with who you have in house. And as long as, you know, as long again, as long as the numbers work out, because so much comes comes back down to the cap. But I, but I, I could see you know an avenue to where that should be workable for both sides. I would not be, I would not be surprised if Brian Elliott is the uh, other goalie with with Carter Hart next year. And also, you know, those two guys work well together. Yeah, and that, and that's been proven out. And I, I think having a, a sage veteran, a guy who's been to a conference final, 
and played a lot of really good hockey still and still can has a uh, certainly good value for this Flyers team. Uh, th- those are the, the question marks I have. Did you have any other question marks, Bill, that you wanted to hit on? Uh, the only other, the only other question mark that I had, um, you know, heading into next season as well is just, uh, you have a, you know, you have Claude Giroux and, and uh, Voracek and James Van Reems, like all being a year older once guys are on the other side of 30, you just, you just hope they can sustain the level that you're accustomed to see them playing for another year. I, you know, that's just, that's just a standard question mark with any player. I mean, I, I think all three of those guys have, you know, have shown there's, there's enough left in the tank. You're not imminently worried about it, but just, uh, you know, as some of your core players do get in their thirties, you need some of the younger players to step into not just supporting roles, but into bigger roles. So that the other side of that too is, you know, to me, one of the things that you do know is that there's a, a talented group of young players, but on the question mark side is, okay, are they ready to step into that bigger role and, and emerge as some of the leaders on the team? Yeah, and I think a big part of that, Bill, too, is is making sure that Giroux's on the wing for the entire season. I know with the Nolan Patrick situation this year, it necessitated him moving back into the middle. But since that Devils game, remember that Devils game where they lost five to nothing? Um, I think they outshot the Devils, and they ended just, it just you know it was a clunker. Um, and since then, that's when uh, Elaine Vigneault decided to reunite Claude Drew with Sean Couturier and Jake Voracek. And in that time, Drew had 15 points, Couturier 12, and Voracek 13 points in that period after they reunited uh, those guys together. Uh, at this point, this season, Drew has an average game score of .70 when playing center and a 49-point pace uh, with a 50.7% uh, expected goals rate, but at wing, far better. Yeah. It goes to .91 thanks to a six and a 67 point pace and a 55.8 expected goals ratio. So uh, that that's just where he is at this point in his career. Um, he'll be 33 years old and um, him on the wing at this point and playing with a guy like Sean Couturier is, is paramount, which brings me to my first certainty, Bill. My first certainty is really simple. Even though Sean Couturier may not be the most quote talented player on the, t- on the flyers, he's the most important and impactful player on the flyers. Yeah, I had I had that as well. The other part of that being is that uh, Ivan Provorov is the number one defenseman on this team. Um, has yet to miss a game in the NHL. Led the team in ice time every year that he's had. And to me, it's a certainty that he's a you know he's that he bounced back from an off year, and that he he's still trending upwards into the top echelon defenseman in the league. Uh, whether that's you know Norris Trophy caliber or not, I mean that that remains to be seen. But I think it's a certainty that the the Flyers know. He's going to be the backbone of the defense for a long time to come. Yeah, and the thing about Provorov, and, and oftentimes, Bill, like I hate to see young players go through adversity, but I think young players need to go through adversity. And when they come out on the other side and have a season like Provorov is having this year, um, I think they're all the better for it. I, I think it's it's a big part of development and maturity at the NHL level. To fit, You know, when he came in, really good year. Got off to got off to a real good start to his career, and having that hiccup, I think, is going to help him in the long run. Sure, I, I, I mean, you see it, you know, you see it at, at every position on the ice, but particularly with particularly with defensemen and goalies. Yeah, you know, they 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 tend to emerge a little bit later because the learning curve is steeper. And uh, yeah, I, I think every player has to go through a, a certain amount of adversity in their career. And I, you know, I think that he's. We always kind of knew he was a mature young player, but I think he, I think he's come through, and I think he's come through, with, you know, stronger on the other side. Absolutely. Um, my next certainty uh, goes into that same exact element, and I alluded to it before about uh, Justin Braun. 
is number two was the veteran additions of Matt Niskanen and Justin Braun have impacted this team in so many more ways than just what they have impacted them on the ice. And the impact on the ice is very significant. But I think the off-ice impact is equally as important. I do too. Um, I didn't have that on there, but I, I think that's a very good point. And I think it's, I think it's going to be an impact that will be continue to be felt even after those guys are no longer here. You know, young defensemen who are around Darian Hatcher, for example, or the year that Jason yeah. Smith was captain, have said they learned so much from those guys about being about being pros, about preparation. You know that it helped them their entire careers. So, you know the the minutes they get out of Niskanen in particular are, are critical to the team. Um, you know, he has one more year to go on his contract and is still a very important part of the blue line. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that, that's a critical piece. And I, and I, I you know, I, I would completely agree that they, they've brought benefits on the ice and off the ice, you know, in, in the room. And that, that definitely has been, you know, part of the, a big part of the turnaround of the team. Um, so I, you know, I have that, I have that, you know, that I could see that as a certainty without what I had was that we know it's a very skilled coaching staff. And they've uh, and and they've made an impact on the roster. So it's it's similar from the from the coaching side of it to what the veterans have brought. But I mean, it's a you know the the same concept. You bring in people who have experience who who won different places. You know, I, I think that that's been a huge part of why the team is where it is now, as opposed to where it was a year from a year ago. And I have that as well because you're you're right. I think the additions of Niskanen and Braun have affected the standings for the Flyers. And then number five, one I had as a certainty, is, is right along those same lines. The coaching staff led by Elaine Vigneault with Michelle Terrian, Mike Yo, Ian LaPerriere, Kim Dillabaugh, the whole staff. Um, for me, they, to me, they've accounted for about eight points in the standings this year um, with how they run a bench, how they prepare their team, the accountability, um, the, the strategic elements, all of it. Improvement on the PK, improvement on the power play, all of those things, to me, it's equated to, to helping the team in the standings year to year. Oh, certainly, certainly. Um, and in terms of other things that I had a, as a certainty, I had uh, I had that Kevin Hayes has been a huge addition. And you know, sometimes sometimes you worry about year one of a of a long term contract with the team. I mean, there's you know, I the way the way that he's just fit in on the ice, his impact in the room, just as a you know guy who brings energy, keeps keeps everything loose. I mean, that's a Flyers have a lot of years to look you know to look forward to that and. You know, rather than rather than being, I mean, because it, it, listen, you sign a guy for that long to as much money as he got. You know, there's uh, things could turn ugly if, if year it's one. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And uh, you know, rather than being a question mark, is okay. You know, how many? You know, you're not even you're not even thinking about it right now. You you know that he's a, a crucial part of the team, and you know he he's fit right in. So I had that as one of my certainties. Yeah, and I did as well as my number six. I just said that Kevin Hayes' impact is not and will never be about how many goals, assists, or points he has, he has in a season. It's about everything else, too. you got, you got to look at the collective with him. And, and, like, you look, you bring it up, like, the way he's so boisterous and loud, and, and that releases a lot of pressure from players that aren't that way. Um, and then the other part of it is he's always having fun. Everybody has fun when they go to the rinks. Uh, I, you know, I'm hearing him in interviews, and when I just talked to him on Flyers Daily a little while back, I mean, he's assimilated himself into Philadelphia beautifully. I, I don't remember, you know, some athletes come here and they just don't mesh with the with the city of Philadelphia. Some do, and he's one of the ones that got the Philadelphia thing, and Philadelphia's get his thing, 
mean, they really do. He's a showman, so it's, it's a great one, absolutely. Um, Bill, another one that I have, and it'll be no shock, um, but it's in regards to the goaltender Carter Hart. And it, it, it's very simply stated that Carter, Carter Hart will not suffer the fate of so many who came before him. And when I, I've asked him about it on a couple of occasions, and his answer to me is so telling. And he says, real simply, none of that has anything to do with me, what's happened in the, the goaltender graveyard of Philadelphia prior to his arrival. And I think that's just such a mature answer. And he said, such a control the controllable guy, um, dealing with John Stevenson and his you know, performance coach and sports psychologist since he was 14 years old. Um, and the fact that when he got injured this year, he pulled himself out uh, of that practice, went through the rehab process at a very important time in the season, and then came back and was even better after that. I think it's even more convincing to the level of certainty um, that Carter Hart isn't a good goaltender, but he's going to be a great one. And um, we can rely on this when it's real. I, I completely agree. Uh, I had Carter on the list, too. It was kind of a no-brainer. And listen, we talked about going through adversity. Well, Carter's had some adversity, right? Oh, he had yeah. uh, he struggled his first month in the American League last year. Uh, had an injury. He didn't start the stadium series game, which was a big disappointment to him. He had to, you know, he was pulled in a couple games last year. He was pulled in a few games this year. The question marks over his performance on the road, and he he's taken everything in stride, and uh, just you know worked through it. Just kept doing, just kept doing his thing, you know, and. Um, you know, his, I mean, his home, his home numbers this year, I posted them a, a while ago. They're in the top. His, he's had a, a, one of the top three seasons by a Flyers goalie at home in franchise history. He's up there with Bernie. He's 21 for, years old. <laughs> years old. I mean, he's a, you know, he's a really, really, really fine young goalie. And he's, I think he's just going to keep getting better. And, and the, the crazy thing is that as good as he is, he does have room to get better. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, a, you know, that's a very exciting thought. Yeah, and it's amazing. I had uh, uh, on my, my Stick to Hockey podcast last week, Stephen Valaket, who uh, former Ranger goaltender, uh, works for MSG now, and he runs a company called ClearSight Analytics, which measures um, the quality of shots uh, that a team or a goaltender faces, and he catalogs every single shot. Carter Hart, uh, in total this season, has had the fourth worst environment for high percentage chances around him, yet he's performed so well. I think a lot of that was more in the beginning of the season while things were coming together for this team. Um, if, if you extrapolated them out probably from January on, I'm sure they would look much different than they did from October uh, through December. Um, but still, to be able to perform in that situation where, you know, a lot of times, Bill, we watch him and it doesn't look like he's spectacular because he's so positionally sound and he doesn't get himself into trouble with wasted movements and, and out of control um, that he almost makes it look easy. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's part of his... You know, that's part of the way he plays the game and thinks the game, which is obviously great for the Flyers and, and this team going forward, because this division with uh, the goalies that are coming into this division or already here is going to be a, a tough one when it comes to the goaltending position. Oh, sure. And, and you know, when Carter needs to make that spectacular save, he can do it. I mean, he's made two of the NHL's best saves this year. Think of the Taylor Hall one, the five on three, the shutout win at home over the Devils and the home opener. And then he had one on Ranton in um, Colorado that was just unbelievable. I mean, Ranton had a stick in the air on that one. Uh, that was a, a two on one, so it's not like he played it wrong, but the puck went across and the shot was ticketed and Carter stole it. I mean, so, you know, he, 
even even in situations where you know no goalie could could get over potentially, or you know he he does make a mistake and he can recover. I mean, he has he has both elements there. How how positionally solid he is, but also is you know he has the the athleticism too, so that. You know, he generally doesn't have to be spectacular, but when he when he has to call upon a desperation save, he has a pretty good chance of making it. Yeah, and the thing, the other save that I think of, and you just brought up, Taylor Hall won that glove save was stunning on that five on three. The Rantanen one, you're right, his arms were in the air. He thought it was in the net. And the other one to me was the Panarin one against the Rangers, the behind-the-back pass on the power play, and somehow he got over to his low blocker side. Uh, to, to re- he was in a butterfly position at the high cre- middle crease and somehow contorted his body into a spread and got there to get that save against Panarin. And the one thing about all those great saves, Bill, they're all against guys that are MVP caliber players. And Taylor Hall, Miko Rantanen, and Artemi Panarin. Uh, you're doing it against great scorers. You're not doing it against Jody Shelley. You know what I'm saying? Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. um, you know, just his, yeah, like I said, just his, uh, I mean, he's just, he's he's so fast. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's, <laughs> I mean, we, we could go on and on, but uh, even areas, you know, like um, he doesn't, he doesn't make the same mistake twice either. You know, like, yeah. uh, like he'll, if he commits early and he gets beaten on a guy next time, the same situation, the guy's going to try the same thing. And it's not happening. He he makes the save. I mean, he he adjusts on the fly very quickly, and he's developed a, a good book on the shooters. And you know, I mean, all these things that you associate with a mature veteran goalie, you know, he he has those traits already at 21 years old. Yeah, he does the homework as well. I'm watching, uh, he's doing these. Um, they're called pro reads on IngleMagazine.com on IngleMag.com, and one of the ones that he did for them. Uh, he he knew right away what hand everybody every guy that was on the ice whether they were right-handed or left-handed, and, and that goes into your reading on the play the options for what a player has if they're right-handed or left-handed. It's amazing the detail for which uh, he attacks his profession. Bill, that was a lot of fun. That was awesome stuff. Hopefully this week we get some uh, some real big news about the NHL. I think we're going to, and we're going to celebrate it, and we're going to talk about it, and uh, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for doing this. I'm going to get to my interview right now with Mark Friedman, Flyers defenseman, player profiles, got some uh, action this year and fared pretty well. So here's my conversation with Flyer defenseman Mark Friedman. Happy to welcome to Flyers Daily right now as player profiles continue, Flyers defenseman, Mark Friedman. Mark, how you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Well, we're all hanging in there, man. I know it's been uh, it's crazy for everybody, and you know, you guys, uh, you know, you're in the in the teeth of uh, a hockey season where so much is kind of regimented out for you guys, and then all of a sudden, boom, the carpet gets pulled out from under you, and we're in this pause. How you been, kind of handling the pause, and what are you doing to pass the time? Uh, well, thanks for having me. Um, Got to say that on record. Thank you. I really appreciate it for having me out here today. Um, but yeah, I mean, just doing pretty much the standard, uh, going out for runs and doing taking my social distancing pretty seriously. Um, I got a puppy, so that's taking up a bunch of my time. Um, and yeah, kind of just, just doing. Uh, I got a woodle. Uh, it's a mix between a wheat and terrier and a poodle. Now, did you get the um, woodle because they don't shed? Uh, well, that's definitely a big reason, but, uh, no, we actually went to, uh, like a pet store and my girlfriend said, or thought that they were having dog adoptions, but it ended up being cat adoptions. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Let's just go look at some dogs. We might as well have nothing else going on. So, uh, she was the first dog I saw jumping up and down at me and she was the one I knew right away. Yeah. Sometimes you don't pick the dog. The dog actually picks you. Yeah, that's very, very true. 
And would you name the dog? Uh, she was already named Maple. Ah, okay. Nice. Yeah. And how's yeah, puppy training cool. going? Uh, we actually just took her to uh, her first one-on-one session yesterday because things are starting to open up um, just slightly a little bit, um, which was okay. She still has a couple accidents in the house every once in a while, but that's obviously to be expected. But, uh, yeah, she loved doggy daycare the other day, which was awesome. So now we know we can take her there when it's rainy days. And, yeah, she's awesome, just like having a kid. So yeah, the cool can't thing- complain. The cool thing for you, like, like as a professional athlete, you know, you'll go on the road for periods of time. But if you go like to the Wawa and come back, she'll greet you like you've been gone a month. And when you come back oh, from a road trip, she'll go bananas as well. Yeah, I can't <laughs> wait for those. <laughs> yeah, that's what you want. You want to get back out there. Uh, absolutely. Um, where are you sheltering in place? Uh, I'm in Allentown. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and how's it been for, you know, you and your girlfriend up there trying to pass time and and trying to just you know stay sane through this whole thing of yeah i mean uh it's definitely pretty tough what's going on she actually got uh she got laid off because of this whole virus which uh definitely she didn't take that easy but um yeah we're just going day by day and trying to find things to do i guess um which we're running out of things to do um but yeah i mean like i said the dog's taking up a huge part of this time a huge part of our time and um i mean it's also good time good for me and her because we don't really get to see each other much during the year so we're trying to we're connecting um every day and it's it's been i guess you can say fun for us yeah good good on you guys for using the time to to grab a dog and and really put a lot into it that's awesome mark Mark, i gotta ask you about your path to the nhl because uh, okay. it's really interesting. You're drafted back in 2014, third round by the Flyers, 86th overall. Uh, you spent some time playing in the OJHL for two seasons, and, and then you went to the USHL, played for the Waterloo Blackhawks for two years. And then you went to the NCAA route and uh, spent three years at Bowling Green uh, before turning pro. What, what were those developmental yeah. years like for you, both uh, in junior and the USHL and then at Bowling Green? Yeah, they were definitely crucial. Um, I was – the youngest guy in my 95 age group being born so late in December on Christmas. Um, but yeah, my, my year and a half in the OJHL playing for North York and John Dean was, uh, was, was quite awesome. Playing with 21 year olds as a 16 year old was, was pretty cool. And then uh, going over to playing some really good hockey in the USHL with PK O'Hanley and the water, the Blackhawks. That was, those are some of my best days um, growing up and playing hockey. And then um, in Bowling Green um, where you, where I actually met my girlfriend and made so many friendships with uh, coaches and players and um, the whole, however many years it was, I think what it was three to seven years of before, before becoming pro um, definitely helped me. And um, I'll never forget those days. Yeah. It certainly shaped into the, the man that you are, the hockey player that you are as well. And look at that, you know, all those years ago at Bowling Green, you meet your girlfriend. Now you guys are getting dogs and sheltering in place. <laughs> yeah, let's not go too fast. So that's one step at a time, I guess. Yeah, nine months from now. Uh, and no, I'm not going yeah, there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but, Mark, making that jump from, you know, playing NCAA, and, and we're seeing more guys go the NCAA yeah. route over junior uh, more and more every year. And you're seeing guys jump right into the league out of NCAA yeah. and be really good players like Kale McCarr. I mean, there's a lot of them. Uh, what was that jump like for you going from uh, playing coll- collegiate hockey and then all of a sudden turning pro and playing with, you know, men and, and the best players on the planet? 
Well, I thought I have an advantage going to college as a major junior since you're playing with bigger, stronger, and, and faster, smarter guys. Um, but, yeah, definitely my first year pro was a uh, rude awakening. It wasn't my best year of hockey. Um, a lot of growing up to do um, off the ice. And, um, yeah, but I knew I had some great players around me and some, some great coaching that definitely helped me transition my second year. And um, got a game in last game of the year, which was nice to get a taste in the NHL. And then uh, playing a few games this year was was uh, definitely very cool. Uh, with Lehigh Valley, Scott Gordon's been your coach. Kerry Huffman there as well, former Flyers yeah. defenseman. Uh, what's their influence been like for you? Huffer and Gordo have been awesome. Um, obviously, I talk to Huffer more than I do Gordo since Huffer's with the D-man. Um, but, yeah, me and Huff have a very good relationship. Um, talk quite a, quite a bit during the year and um, on and off throughout the summer. And, um, he's a great guy, and he definitely knows the stuff when it comes to hockey. So um, taking it in from Huffer every day is, is he's definitely good to have around, and he's um, just such a good guy to be on the bench. And he's a very positive guy, which, which definitely helps with younger guys try, trying to get to the NHL. What's uh, your first game, your first NHL game? You mentioned you get that one game in. And, look, that may not seem like a big deal, but it really is because that can send you into an offseason feeling, feeling pretty good that you, you got into a game in the 2018-19 season. What do you remember about yeah. your first NHL start? Uh, well, it was actually pretty funny. Um, our team wasn't too good in Lehigh, and we were having a, a practice, and – it uh, wasn't too good of a practice, and uh, Huffer calls me in his office because Gordo was up with the Flyers, right? And I think it was – yeah, Gordo was interim coach for the Flyers when all this was going on, and Huffer called me in and um, was pretending with me, saying, what what were you doing out there today? You look like crap, so-and-so. And he's like, I don't know, I'm just, just kidding around. You just got called up. Go enjoy. So right there, I was my heart dropped in my stomach, and then it dropped again after he told me that. So – um, it was such a, such a cool thing. And, um, I knew coming up to Gordo would be pretty familiar and knowing some of the guys already with the flyers and then to actually get the start with my mom, dad, a couple buddies and my girlfriend there was, um, a night I'll never forget. Yeah. That's one of those things as a kid, you're just always wondering if you're going to walk out of that tunnel yeah. and, yeah. and you're going to take that lap by yourself and warm up. And I know yeah, the flyers, yeah. that lap, yeah. that lap was definitely pretty, uh, pretty exhilarating and, definitely nerve-wracking didn't want to fall yeah you don't want a toe sure. pick right yeah, you, I do not want to do that did, did you check your blades to make sure nobody put any clear <laughs> on the bottom or anything like that no i didn't i, <laughs> I was actually more nervous than hiding my helmet phil myers told me that they did that with him and i didn't want that to happen with me because he's a lot better looking than i am so um, good thing i they didn't hide my helmet yeah he's got phil's got the flow going <laughs> yeah he does have the flow i don't have that <laughs> um you get it also this year you get in six games with the flyers uh your first yeah. game this season against uh washington and, and all your games with the team team never lost back-to-back -back games uh in your tenure this year with the team um matter of fact your record uh in those six games four and two a shootout win an ot win uh what's it like to get those games in this year to, to kind of help you, again, another building block for you to build that confidence to ultimately be with the team full-time? Yeah, obviously it was nice to get the call and to play Washington, Tampa, Boston, St. Louis, four of the best teams in the NHL. Um, says a lot and the confidence that they had in calling me up against the four best teams, um, which definitely gives you confidence. And then, uh, yeah, I just go 
out there and just play your game and do what got you to where you are. And um, yeah, I knew I wasn't going to play a whole lot, but when I uh, when I had to go on the ice, I knew that I just had to do my job and keep it simple and just play like I do with some speed and some some grit and um, hopefully it would keep me around a little longer. I'll tell you the one thing that I noticed in your game, Mark, um, in the one last year and the, the six this year is you are calm. There's no panic to your game. And you're up in the NHL and, you know, and you're playing against the Washington Capitals and Alexander Ovechkin's bearing down on you on a four check or, you know, Tampa Bay, you look across there, you got Kucherov, Stamkos, you got some really high end talent and, and you're just calm out there. Has that been a hallmark of your game? And when did that kind of come in like Pee Wee? Uh, well, um, I think a lot of me being calm is with my skating ability and being able to get out of situations where some guys can't. Um, I've been taking pride in my skating and, for so long with my skating coaches back home, my skills coaches. And um, I've been working on it, yeah, since since PV level or, or Bantam level. And uh, my dad's have actually um, has a whole lot to do with that as well, getting me up early in the morning and um, going to work on my skating and just uh, just doing every little thing that I can to, to get to the NHL. Yeah, when you look at it, it's one thing you always tell kids at all levels developmentally is – yeah. skating 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 if yeah. you can't skate you ain't got much especially in today's game absolutely we're guys aren't as big but um if you can't skate you're going to be a step behind that's that's for sure yeah no question about it um playing uh with the flyers and this season you get in those six games um you know and your, your first game this year was on the 8th of january um the team really was rolling what was the difference kind of in the in the feeling in that locker room and that one game you had the season prior to the, the six that you played this year, real confident group? Uh, the, yeah, the, the group's awesome. I mean, you got variation of ages in there, but you got some young guys when Joel and TK and Cube and Phil and, and Hartsey. And then um, you got so many good veterans up there, Jake, G, Hazy. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's so easy to go in there and just have a fun time, especially when the team's rolling and, when you're winning, it's a lot more fun in every sport, right? So um, winning's definitely um, definitely helps with the uh, the team chemistry and, and keeps everyone loose. Mark, when you when you approach the, you know the situation with the Flyers, you're you're not oblivious to the fact of uh, what they have right now, what they have coming, uh, including yourself. Um, there's a lot of uh, high end D either on this team or on its way, and that's with you included. How, how do you kind of just say, I got to control what I can control here. That's my game. Yeah. And not worry about any of that other stuff. Exactly. Like you said, you just got to control what you can, and that's a big motto of mine. Uh, my dad instilled in me for years now, so you can control what you can, control what you can control, and um, worry about yourself. And I, so far, I think I've been doing that. And um, Yeah, I mean – you can't worry about what's coming or what, what they already have. You just got to go out there and play your game and figure out just what you have. Um, yeah, everything will take care of itself. Was there a moment in the seven games that you have played where you were either, A, all struck kind of at an opponent or where you were like, wow, this is, this is different. This is the top level and this is why? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, watching guys, these guys on TV, especially playing Boston, Tampa, and um, Washington, St. Louis, watching them on TV all the time, on um, seeing Marshan, um, what kind of a guy he is on the ice, and then um, Kucherov, Stamkos, Sovi, Oshi, uh, um, Kuznetsov. It's my first game. Yes, I was 
especially in warm-ups, looking across the red line and seeing those guys stretching and shooting the puck. And I was like, oh, my God, i got to go against those guys tonight. <laughs> um, no, but it was obviously it was, it was someone and something I'll be able to talk about for, for so long. And um, I just can't wait to, to get back at it. Um, if the if the game does come back, obviously the AHL season was just uh, mentioned uh, yeah. last week that that's uh, that's canceled for the year. That was probably a likely outcome all along. But um, if the NHL does come back and has some sort of uh, playoff, whether that's a 24 team expanded field, uh, there has been talk of um, a, a situation where they would uh, expand these rosters. And uh, you're a player that would certainly be uh, in that situation, if not even to play. Um, first of all, what's it going to be like to try and come back after this rest of, or pause, whatever you want to call it, to get back into hockey shape and get yeah. ready to play off, play off hockey and for Lord Stanley's chalice? Absolutely. Um, well, like you said, hockey shape's a lot different than being in weight room shape, right? So it's, uh, it's definitely going to be tricky. Um, thank God I got some rollerblades coming to kind of remind me on how to tie my skates again, which I've, I've completely forgot how to do. Um, but, yeah, I mean – we just got to take it day by day and you can't push yourself too much. Um, you can't go, can't go balls out or you can't go full speed. Um, the first time you get on the, on the ice and, um, you just got to work yourself into it. And, uh, yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully hockey comes back. Um, but it's definitely going to be different without having any fans in the building because playoff hockey is, is huge when there's fans and home ice advantage and all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, We'll see what happens here within the next couple uh, couple weeks on what they decide. And, yeah, uh, I'm sure everybody just is kicking the can to get back as soon as possible. Uh, when's the last time you played without fans? Pee-wee? When it was just parents in the stands? Yeah. yeah. You know? I mean, oh, my God. Novice, maybe. Yeah, yeah I mean, you get, so you get in the bantam and there starts, you know, people start showing up. Yeah. I mean, uh, maybe even the OJHL. <laughs> <laughs> Before the USHL, there wasn't too many fans at our games. Um, feeding off the fans is one of those things. Um, you talked about it as well, you know, playing against all those great opponents. Um, who have you kind of connected with on this team? You mentioned the group and, you know, there's a veteran core. There's certainly a, a very pronounced young core that's on the rise with this Flyers team, which is, you know, setting the future up brilliantly for Chuck Fletcher and the organization. Yeah. Um, who have you really kind of connected with of your teammates and, you know, who do you hang with? Uh, well, I, living in Lehigh for, for three years, the first two years I lived with, uh, Cube, Cubell and, uh, Myers. Um, and we talk pretty much every day. So, I mean, me and the, we, we have a really good connection. And when I was up there, uh, we hung out every day and we did it pretty much everything together. So, uh, they're really good buddies. You, you can rely on those guys too. To, you guys can kind of talk about, yeah, just, you know, the yeah. trials and tribulations of trying to make it right. Yeah, absolutely. What, uh, um, anything that you've been watching on Netflix or anything, or is the dog uh, keeping you off the uh, streaming devices? Um, I watched Ozark done with that. That's a good one. I've been, I've, yeah, I've been crushing some TV shows. Um, Ozark, uh, my girlfriend's a big real housewives. Um, watcher so i'm kind of getting into that oh dude don't do it uh, my wife i know that too. i prefer root canal. <laughs> you know they just sit there and they get them all liquored up and then they fight like crazy and i'm like yeah i know but sometimes it's it's the drama is kind of very entertaining to watch um 
yeah, I mean, Ozark. I love the Food Network. I watch every day. I love to cook. So I'm a big diners, drive-ins, and dives guy. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. Just, well, cooking, uh, yeah. Cooking, for the, cooking for your girlfriend, man. She's got to be loving that. Oh, you, she loves it. Hey, you're she home, and now you're cooking. Yeah, absolutely. She can't cook for a lick, so I got to do all that. <laughs> yeah, my wife put, uh, when, I, when we were dating, uh, she put cinnamon in spaghetti sauce. That oh almost ended God. things early, man. My kids are thanking God <laughs> that I didn't walk out the door on that night. Oh, my God. <laughs> she just thought that no matter, as long as you, you know, she more ingredients is always good. <laughs> did she think it was something else or? No, she did it on purpose. I'm eating and I'm going, oh, did you put boy. cinnamon in this? She's like, yeah, do you like it? And I go, no. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I really don't like it. You got to check out Money Heist. That's a good one, man. Four a seasons. TV show? Yeah, it's on Netflix. It's, it's actually uh, um. La Casa de Papel. It's a, spa- a show out of Spain that they dubbed it. So that's okay. going to drive you nuts in the beginning. But once you get yeah. used to the dub actors, the story's so good. I highly recommend it. A few of your teammates my, watch it. My favorite show is uh, Peaky Blinders or Game of Thrones. But was, those were done way before this quarantine started. Now, did, when you watched Peaky Blinders, did you put on the subtitles to try and understand it at least early on what the heck they were saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the first season, I did, but then I started to catch on with what they were saying with the, with the very thick accents. Yeah, that's what everybody's been telling me to do. I, I've tried it and I just couldn't understand it. And they said you need you it. You need it, it for the first season. Yeah, I heard it. It gets its teeth in you pretty good. Oh um, yeah. Uh, what uh, you know, what, what's your plan? And you know, what are you hearing? Are you following things really closely? You know. Are you watching the news nonstop and letting it drive you crazy? Or are you just kind of hanging out at this point saying, when I get a phone call to go somewhere, I'm going to go and I'll be ready to go. Yeah, I'm just, like I said, trying to take it day by day. But um, us hockey players, we just want to get back out there so as soon as possible. So I've been on the phone and connecting with my uh, with my agent here quite a bit uh, the last couple of weeks. And um, he's just saying, just stay ready. There's not much we can do. Just control what you can control. And, yeah, hopefully the uh, season starts up. Um, real quick, I, m- I meant to ask you this earlier, but uh, growing up in Toronto, you a Leafs fan, first of all, as a kid? Can I say yeah? Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, when did you know, growing up, that you may be able to make a living at this? Uh, well, considering growing up, hockey was my second best sport. I was way better at soccer, actually, than I was at hockey. But growing up in Canada, I was – kind of had one way to go right so uh I just my dad decided just me and my dad both said hey we're just gonna stick with hockey here and see where it goes and um uh, yeah I'm very thankful for what he's done for me growing up and uh hopefully I can repay him one day I, I we talk about this all the time too many kids now are playing hockey and hockey exclusively at way too young of an age it's all year yeah. round and clinics and nonstop those soccer skills helped you didn't they oh absolutely being good at better or being good at more than one sport with coordination and conditioning and all that stuff and being around a team um yeah that definitely helps i think i think at least two three sports growing up just definitely helped me to where i am today for sure yeah, the greatest player to ever play the game uh, as a big proponent of that as well. And Wayne Gretzky uh, always yeah, talks absolutely. about that. He's playing he baseball. Oh, yes, he, he, he would say as soon as, you know, as soon as the season's over, I'd put the hockey bag away. I'd see it in September and I'd play baseball all summer. And look at the, look at the hand-eye coordination he had. Pretty sick. Yeah. 
Seriously. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, Mark, hey, man, we appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, you know, you're know you going to get skates on the ice soon, screw the rollerblades, and get back out there and get training and uh, get this thing underway, man. I, I appreciate you taking the time here on Flyers Daily. Best of luck and stay healthy, man. And uh, good, luck with the, good luck with the new dog. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me out. Um, you stay healthy as well. All right, special thanks to Mark Friedman for joining us here on this episode of Flyers Daily as player profiles continue. Lots of great stuff coming up this week. Also, thanks to Bill Meltzer for joining us here on the first half of the podcast. In the meantime, we'll be back with another episode on Wednesday. Everybody, thanks for listening. Stay healthy, and we'll talk to you Wednesday.